You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Joy, 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 down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. <laughs> The only other verse I know is, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. <laughs> Look it up. That is in the lyrics. I promise you. I promise you. <laughs> We're going to talk about joy. Joyride. Um, joyride. Probably most of you will not understand this reference, but when I first saw this slide on Joyride, I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my head was the Fantastic Voyage, the Coolio song, come along and ride on the Joyride, sorry, um, Joy, uh, anybody wake up singing that song this morning because of the extra hour of sleep you got? We can rejoice in the Lord this morning because we got an extra hour, it's my favorite day of the year. Um, how many of you Dodger fans, you've been singing that song? Um, for the last week. Ah, gotta have the joy in your heart, guys. Any Dodgers fans? Anybody? Dodgers fans? Any? You, st- you still love them? Any Astros fans? How many of you don't care? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many of you found joy in the Dodgers losing? Genesis. <laughs> this World Series took me on an emotional roller coaster. I was, I was happy because I've never been able to celebrate like a team that I live in the city I live in. So it was really cool. But, you know, every, everybody that was going for the Dodgers, you felt joy at least three times in the World Series, right? At least three. And sometimes you felt joy and then it was ripped away from you. But sports in general, I have under, I've begun to understand that I am way too emotionally connected, way too emotionally connected. Ask my wife. Like, um, last year, there was, a, there was one Packers game uh, that they, they won at the end of the game, and I stood up on our couch, and I was cheering. There was another time I was watching the Packers game uh, during a church meeting in the youth room. Pastor Asunta was praying, and it was like Holy Ghost praying. As he was in the middle of his prayer, the Packers kicked a field goal in the playoffs to beat the Cowboys. I fell out of my chair, made a loud noise, total distraction to everybody. But like, when, when my sports team loses, I get sad. I get sad, right? But it's dumb. I get so upset, and I feel like the joy is gone. And when they win, I feel so excited. When we were, watching the, uh, we were watching the game with the kids, game two in the youth room with the kids, and I was measuring my heart rate, and it was at one point like 140. I was running around the youth room cheering, and we had this whole thing. Every time Donnell went to the bathroom, the Dodgers hit a home run. So every time we needed to rally, we made Donnell leave the room, and then they would do something. We're cheering and excited, and he's like, what happened? Stay in there. Don't worry about it. We need more runs. <laughs> But it's funny how something as trivial as sports can make or break your day. Um, And then one of the underlying stories in the World Series was that the Houston Astros deserved to win 
because of all the devastation that they experienced. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how is that going to help people? How is a World Series title going to help them rebuild their home? And yeah, I, I get that people find joy in that, but, but that is not something that's sustainable. And then I heard a fan talking about how uh, since he, he had a lot of devastation in his life from the hurricane, and the only moment of joy he has found since then has been when the Astros won. And I'm like, that's so sad. It's so sad that his only point of joy since devastation has been a baseball team. And so I started thinking about it. And we, we, we go to a lot of lengths. We go to great lengths to try to have joy in our life. And I Googled how to find joy. Most of what I found, remember, Google is my main source of theological research. So um, I Googled how to find joy. And uh, you have like WikiHow, 13 ways to find joy parentheses, with pictures, 40 things to do today that will bring joy in your life. Why are you going to give me 40 items to check off a list in order to find joy? And I'm supposed to do that every day? One of the pictures was a person just standing outside like this, and it said, connect with nature. <laughs> what if I go outside and the air quality is bad and I start coughing? <laughs> connect with nature. Do something today to find joy in your life. And then I started thinking that most of the ways that we try to find joy is connected with something that we have to do, right? And then, so a lot of the joy that we find in life is vicarious. I find joy through somebody else's achievement. I find joy as an Astros fan. I'm not. But I find joy as an Astros fan because they won the World Series. Somebody else over here in the second row on the end finds joy because the Dodgers lost the World Series. So he's finding joy in somebody else's uh, achievement. You find joy in somebody else's expectation of you. So joy becomes performance. I did a good thing. Celebrate me. Now I can have joy. Teenagers like live that way. Everything that they do is connected with performance. So we're going to be talking about soon the, 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 the fact that we need everybody's help to try to, to flip the gospel message around and see that it is about grace and not performance. Anyhow, um, don't make your joy vicarious, right? Don't live another person's dream and try to imitate their life unless it's the life of Christ to try and manufacture some kind of joy in your life. Can it work? Sure. Can you find a moment of joy? Yes, probably, right? However, that joy is not sustainable, Right? The joy that you're finding through performance, through achievement, through somebody else's dreams and goals and visions is not going to be sustainable. And so, super theological key point this morning if this works. Knowing Christ is the only source of sustainable joy. Knowing Christ is the only source of sustainable joy. So Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians and kind of the, the, the overarching theme of this book is joy. Right? And what's interesting about this is Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he is still talking about joy. He's writing about this joy that he has and this joy that he's encouraging people to have at the end of his life, not at the beginning of his life. Right? That is not the case with most Christians today. Uh, I, can, I, I can speak for myself that when I gave my life to Jesus, I felt joy. 
I felt joy like I never had in my life. But as time goes on, it's easy to forget about that. And that joy doesn't become what sustains your relationship with Christ. It becomes moment to moment. It becomes based on Sundays. It becomes based on something that happens in your life and not joy throughout all circumstances. But what we see from Paul is his life is bookended with joy. He has this joy at the beginning. He has this joy at the end. And the the story that's told in the middle of those bookends is is, is a story of joy. Paul is overjoyed at the end of his life. And so I want us to look at how Paul is able to sustain this joy throughout his life. Let's read from Philippians 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have, such, have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We're almost done. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that um, we are able to have a sustainable joy with you. And Lord, I just pray that as we go through this, you would help us to, to see that Our joy doesn't have to be connected to a certain circumstance. We don't have to try to um, manufacture joy, Lord, but that simply by knowing you, we can have a joy that lasts. We can have a joy that sustains us. We can have a joy that carries us through everything. So Holy Spirit, we uh, just ask that you would make these words clear, um, that it would be you speaking and not me, and that the message would be communicated clearly, and that you would take it and put it on the hearts of all of us in this room and show us how to live with joy through knowing our Savior, Christ Jesus. And it is in his name we pray, amen. So knowing Christ is the only source of sustainable joy. Paul sees joy as fundamental. He sees it as a very essential part of his life and of a Christian life, right? So before he gets into everything else, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord. Be joyful. Make a joyful noise. How many of you heard joy to the world this morning and were like, really? Christmas already? It's not even Thanksgiving. Thank you, Caleb, for being honest. Um, That's actually not a Christmas song, but we'll leave that for uh, Christmas. Um, But yeah, why why do we have all these joyful, happy, we like, look, I look forward to worship more at Christmas season than anywhere else because we have these songs that we only sing at Christmas and it's so exciting. Why can't we sing about unspeakable joy all the time? 
And I didn't want people to complain, so I almost didn't tell Genesis. Actually, I didn't ask Genesis to do that song. And he thought the same thing and thought I was going to tell him no, so he didn't ask me. And then this morning at like 10, 15, I was like, I told him, and he goes, all right, we're going to do it, this song. So I'm like, yeah, let's sing about joy. Um, it's a fundamental part of the Christian life, right? And it's easy to get to thinking that we know something. So, oh, Pastor Mike, I know about joy. I know that we're supposed to have joy. We talk about it all the time. But sometimes we need to get back to those fundamentals and understand Right? He was reminding them uh, to, to have joy, just like he's been doing throughout this letter. And we need to revisit those fundamentals to help us establish a game plan that's going to sustain us throughout life. Any, uh, anybody UCLA alumni here? No? That's cool. All right. Um, John Wooden, legendary basketball coach for UCLA, he would uh, do these fundamentals uh, with his team the beginning of every year. They did the same thing every single year for the very first, like, introduction with his team. It wasn't a shooting drill. It wasn't a dribbling drill. It wasn't looking at the basketball. He would get all of his players in the room, and he would make them all take their shoes and socks off. And then he would teach them how to put their socks on. And he would spend 15, 20 minutes talking about the importance of getting the seams right, talking about smoothing out all of the wrinkles so you don't get blisters, and then once they learned how to put on their socks, he would teach them how to put their shoes on. And he would teach them how to tie them, starting from the bottom, and how to make it tight. And then once they had it tight, he would say, make it a little bit tighter. We don't want to cut off circulation, but we want to make sure you don't sprain your ankle. And he was doing all of this to ensure that their ankles were safe, that their feet didn't get blisters, so that they were able to walk into the game and play. Every single year, freshmen that did it their freshman year, did it their sophomore year, then their junior year, then their senior year. It was the first thing that he did at the very first introduction with his team every single year. And some of the players thought it was ridiculous. But they did say, one guy said, I never got blisters, I never sprained my ankle, even though he didn't like doing it. And so joy is like that. We need to learn how to find joy in Christ if we're going to be able to walk through life and not let those things that can cause blisters stop us from continuing to walk that path, to stop us from getting those spiritual sprained ankles, however you want to say it, but to keep us on the path that God has us on without limping and allowing those things to bench us and keep us off of the court. Get back to the fundamentals of joy. Do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what it was that prompted you? Do you remember the time? Do you remember the day? Do you remember that feeling of joy that you had in your life? Do you remember what it was like to surrender everything to Jesus? Get back to that. Revisit that. Go back to that time from time to time. Do you remember what it was like to be with Jesus before you became a member of a church and they wanted to disciple you? Do you remember what it was like to be with Jesus and the, the pure joy and elation of, of just wanting to know more about Christ before somebody came and told you how to act, what to wear, what you're supposed to do with your life, who you can hang out with, what you can do, what's acceptable? Those things are, can be good, but sometimes we, we, we forget to just celebrate. Can we just celebrate when somebody gives their life to Jesus without saying, okay, read this book, read this book, come to this class, blah, 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 blah. 
Those things will come. The discipleship process is necessary. But the joy of knowing Christ, the joy associated with that moment of freedom and just pure elation with knowing that your sins are forgiven. In chapter 2 of Revelation, Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and to paraphrase, he says, I've seen all the good things that you do, but you've forsaken your first love. You forgot who I am. You've forgotten about me. You've forgotten about finding that joy. Uh, We can become so overzealous to the point we forget why we have that zeal in the first place. We forget why we're passionate. The the passion just consumes us, and we forget the the source of that passion. The process of discipleship is good, but the purpose of why we are going through that process is of most importance. Discipleship is a means to an end, not the end in itself. We are trying and striving to become more like Jesus and part of like what Pastor Janet was saying of a Christian life is marked with joy. Day in, day out, through every circumstance, through every trial, through everything that we go through, joy, because we get to partner with Christ. We get to know Christ. If we forget the joy of loving and being loved by Jesus, then the process of becoming more like him becomes meaningless. It's not the joy of going through the next course. It's not the joy of getting the next certificate of completion. It's not the joy of sitting with a table coach. It's the joy of knowing Christ that is of most importance. So Paul sees joy as a fundamental. He also recognizes distractions. He recognizes distractions. And we have, uh, there's external distractions, there's internal distractions. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And he's really talking right now about Jewish Christians um, that aren't forsaking what Jesus did, aren't forsaking um, that Jesus is the way to salvation, but they are saying that they need to take all these extra steps. You need to be circumcised and adopt the law of Moses um, to really fulfill salvation. You know, I grew up in the Mormon church, and it it was, the the statement is, once you have done all that you can do, then Jesus steps in. I don't want to serve a God who makes me work for my salvation, right? That's the beauty of what Christ did. So there's all these external distractions. Paul calls these people dogs. This was a term used by Jews to describe uh, Gentiles. Dogs were seen as unclean. They were seen as a nuisance. They were seen as only worthy of your garbage and waste. And he's using these strong words here to describe what these people are doing. These people are not worth your time. All these people who are adding extra requirements, it's just, sorry, text messages. It's just an external distraction. Hold on, give me a second, guys. It's, it's just an external distraction. Okay. Okay. The evil that these people, we'll just leave that, are doing was telling these new Christians that they had to be circumcised. They had to follow this outside list of rules. And, and, and Paul is listing all these external distractions. What are the external distractions in our life? Cell phones. 
There's at least one person in here that got mad at me when I started looking at my phone. But it's okay if we do it when we're at dinner with our spouse, right? It's okay if we do it uh, when we're hanging out with our kids. It's okay if we do it because it's important that I understand what some, somebody's trying to get a hold of me, guys, and I need to respond to that. But it is just a distraction. So Paul is saying, don't listen to any of these other people. Things don't work that way anymore. Yeah, circumcision was the sign uh, uh, that, that the Israelites were God's people, but not that way anymore. Things changed with Jesus. And so Paul lists three marks of a true believer. He says, we who worship by the Spirit of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives means that the act of circumcision is not necessary anymore to, to, to be a sign that they are one of God's people. We who worship by the Spirit of God, we who boast in Christ Jesus, it's only because of his sacrifice that I am able to stand here and have this joy. It's only because of his sacrifice that I know I am in right standing with God. My joy is found in him. It takes all the pressure away from me. My life is found in Christ. I don't have to go through these man-made rules and rituals and programs and things in order to attain right standing with God. I can boast in his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone because I have done absolutely nothing to attain my salvation other than accepting the free gift that God has given me. Man, joyful. It's hot in here. We who put no confidence in the flesh... I don't trust my own ability to attain righteousness, but I trust his. What we do for Christ needs to be a result of our faith, not a prerequisite to faith, right? It's not what I do that puts me in right standing, but it's what he's already done for me. And so I choose to serve him because how he served me. I choose to serve him because I want to please him. I choose to serve him because I love him and I want to be a part of the work that he has asked me to be a part of. And I find my joy in knowing his plans and his purposes for my life. My behavior and the way I choose to live is a result of what he's already done. I'm not trying to behave my way into right standing with God. I'm not trying to do my spiritual chores so God is happy with me. I'm not trying to do these things to earn right standing. Things like discipleship is important, right? But any tool or program or practice that takes away from time spent with Jesus is a distraction. Something like EHS is important, and I think it was great, but it can become a distraction. The Sabbath was a distraction to the Pharisees. And if we're not careful, Sabbath can become a distraction and take away from the true meaning. And all of these things that put more importance on what we do to attain something rather than what Christ has done becomes an external distraction, and we need to get rid of it. Also, anything that adds extra steps or takes away from the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus needs to be gone. Right? We talked, uh, I think, like earlier this year about fences and how we build fences and stop people from really coming to Jesus. Anything that adds an extra step on top of what God has already ordained is meaningless and an external distraction and needs to be cast aside. You know what people did before uh, discipleship programs? You know, before EHS and Flow, people got discipled. Before all these fancy books, people opened the Bible and they allowed the Holy Spirit to disciple them. 
as they knew more about Christ. What a novel idea. What if we just started opening the Bible and said, Lord, will you speak to me today through your word? God, will you show me how to be more like Jesus? You think he can do it? Eh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, he can. All these extra things are okay. But this, the Holy Spirit, can be just fine also. So there's external distractions. There's also internal distractions. And here Paul sort of offers a challenge to anyone who can say they've done things the right way, right? If anybody has the right to boast about righteousness through works, it's me, Paul says. So here's his, his list. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. This was in accordance with the law, right, in the book of Leviticus. Of the people of Israel, Paul could trace his lineage directly back to Abraham. He could trace his heritage, his family of origin, back to Abraham. He was an heir to the covenant. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Israel's first king was from the tribe of Benjamin. And Israel aligned itself with Judah and the line of David when the nation of Israel, or Benjamin aligned itself with Judah when Israel, the kingdom of Israel split. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. He's not ashamed of his Jewish ancestry. He's not embracing this new form of um, Judaism that's influenced by Greek culture. He's saying, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I am not ashamed of my lineage. I am Jewish. Concerning the law of Pharisee, he was one of the elite. He was one of the separated ones that were so vigorously trying to uphold every minute detail of the law. They devoted their life to following all these, these, all 613 Jewish laws, everything in the book of Moses, their life was devoted to following all of it. They don't have time for common people. As for zeal, Paul persecuted the church. He fought to keep Judaism intact. When Stephen was stoned and martyred, he was there um, accepting it. He was there you know, clapping and saying, good job, guys. He was going and, and yanking Christians out of their homes and throwing, in, and throwing them in prison. He was persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. Paul could not find, nobody could find fault in what he had done according to the law because he kept every letter of it. So he's saying if anybody, you guys are talking about how important it is to do all of these man-made things. It's like if anybody can take confidence in their flesh, it's me. Because I've done things right. I did what, you were, what, any, what any good Jewish man would do. Right? It's not just about coming to church. It's not just about sitting here. It's not about attending things. It's not about dressing up and doing the right thing. It's about knowing Christ. Accomplishments are okay. Celebrate your achievements. Be excited about them. But don't let your achievements become distractions because we can try so hard to be the best that we forget how to be ourselves. You can try so hard to accomplish and achieve things, but what if that's not God's plan for your life? Find joy in being you. And if you're going to find joy in being you, you have to know Jesus. You have to spend time with him. You have to be with Christ. Don't measure yourself 
up against other people. Stop defining your success based on other people's perceived failures. Stop uh, uh, defining your failures off of the perceived success of other people. Sure, on the outside, somebody might look like they're doing great, but we don't know what's going on on the inside. And even us, uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. That what is going on in your life? Are you just trying to dress up the outside to hide the death that's going on in within? Or are we spending time with the Lord? Are we learning to live and walk and love with Jesus and, and experiencing that joy and letting it transform our life? If we're truly going to play the comparison game, we should compare ourselves with God's standard. God's standard is perfection. And once I try to compare myself with God's standard, I realize how sinful and broken and distant my life will ever be from the Lord if I try to achieve something, if I try to achieve right standing with him. And so I can have joy and I can let all of this pressure be removed from my life as I learn how to walk with Jesus. Jesus says, walk with me, learn from me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Uh, you don't have to do it because I've already done it for you. And this is this beautiful picture of what the Lord has done for us so we can have joy, so our lives can be marked with joy. And the distractions, these internal, these external distractions are gonna do nothing but steal your joy and lead you to a dull and boring and uneventful life with Christ when you're just coming here, warming a pew, and complaining about things that you don't like. You guys still with me? Okay. So, he sees joy as fundamental, he recognizes distractions, and he defines true worth and value. So here Paul brings out his, his financial ledger, and he's got the, the gains and loss columns. Right? And he's saying everything, that's, oh, I lost my scripture here. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. So he's saying you can put all of these things in the gains column, right? You have all of these things, all these, all these assets. Here's my net worth. Here's what my life is worth. Here's everything I've done. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider it a loss. What might that look like in your life? What would you list in the gains section? What are your assets? What are your losses, right? He's, he's looking at it in financial terms. And Paul says, if I can have Jesus, if I can be found in him, if I can know Christ, everything that I saw as a gain, as a profit in my life, stick it all in the loss column if I can just have Jesus. I don't need any of it. But even more, he says he counts it as garbage, right? But the word garbage even doesn't do justice to what Paul is saying. The word is actually a fun word to say in Greek. It's scubula. And from what I've seen, a, a very literal translation of it is a word that I'm not going to say in church because I don't want to still be employed here. Um, but it's human excrement. So it goes in the toilet. This is your little camping toilet. Scubula. Dung. Poop emoji. And he says, I count it all as crap, basically. None of it matters. Take all of it. 
absolutely everything. Put it in the toilet, flush it into the sewer if I can just have Jesus. What are the things that are of gain to us? Money, right? Money says you can have it. Um, fun things, Disneyland pass. Yeah, I don't need that. Right? Ooh. <laughs> more, more stuff that leads to debt. A target red card, save 5%. You know? Throw it all into the garbage. Um, how about achievements? Uh, here's my, here's my four-square uh, card that says I'm an ordained pastor, right? Any day of the week, I would rather be known as a child of God than as Pastor Mike. That is a way better title than that, right? And this, this had, at one part of my life, become somewhat of an idol because I was like, I worked so hard for this, and, and I, I, I tried, and I finally got it. In your face, everybody that said no. Being a son of God is way more important than this, right? Oh, I missed. Lord? The distractions. Don't need them. And then I have a smartwatch. So I don't have to leave my, I can leave my phone and still be tethered to everybody that needs to get a hold of me. It's like you can have everything. Take the world. Take absolutely everything if I can just have Jesus. And he puts, he defines true worth and value. It's not in things. It's not in possessions. It's not in money. It's not in your house. It's not in all this stuff. Are you willing to count it all as sewer trash? If you can just have Jesus, flush it all down the toilet, and then Paul provides, uh, he develops a life statement. And, oh, my gosh, I struggled so hard with this message and trying to figure out what I was going to write, what the Lord was going to say. I read this scripture like 30 times, and I got to verse 10. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Oh, my goodness. I had, you ever have one of those like, just, oh, Jesus, I Mm, those Holy Spirit moments. That at the end of his life, Paul's desire, still, Paul, the author of most of the New Testament, is still saying, I want to know Christ. My journey is not done. Yes, I've lived a full life. I've planted churches. I've preached before kings. I've led countless numbers of people to Christ, but I still want to know Jesus. I haven't reached the end. There is still more for me. There's still more to know. Such a simple and powerful statement. I don't want to just know his historical life. I don't want to know Jesus through, the, through the, the, the pages of these commentaries. I don't want to know Jesus through the sermons of Pastor Ken. I don't want to know Jesus through the eyes of somebody else. I want to know him for myself. I don't just want to know correct doctrines. I don't need to know Greek and Hebrew theology, and, and I don't need to know what uh, this, this doctrine says and this church says. I don't need all of that. His examples, the way he lived his life, all of that is important, but it's not the same as knowing him for yourself. I want to recognize Jesus. When he walks into the room, when the presence of the Lord is here, I want to know it. 
Not because Pastor Janet tells me, but I want to know it because I have a relationship with him. Because I know who Jesus is. Because I've experienced him. Because I've seen miracles. Because I've seen him work in my life. I want to recognize when he walks into the room. And then I want to know what he can do. I want to know what Jesus can do. Some of us, we get so caught up and lost in, in, in despair and doubt because we've never been to the point where we're willing to let everything else go and say, Jesus, I need you. My life is in shambles. Things are falling apart around me. But we always hold on to something. We'll never know how much Jesus can do until he's all we have. I want to speak with him. I want to learn his voice. I want to know how he communicates. I want to know his heart. I want to love like him. I want to know his love. I want to love people like Jesus loves people. I want to spend time with him. I don't want my devotional life to be a chore. I love doing things for my wife. and I love serving her. I love doing those things. But sometimes I just want to, I just want to be with her. We don't even have to be, be doing something together. But she's there with me. I want that relationship with Jesus, but so much more. I want to spend time with him. I want to live with him. I want him to be right here with me in everything that I do. I want to know Christ. This is Paul's life goal. Many of us want to know Christ. We want to know more. We have that hunger and desire that the Holy Spirit places inside of us when we first come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But at the end of your life, do you still have that? Maybe you're not at the end of your life. I'm not proclaiming anything right now, but I'm just saying, what is, where, where's your joy? Where's your joy now? Do you still have it? Is it still a part of your life? What is your life statement? Are you happy with coming on Sunday? Are you happy with being a part of a life group? Are you happy with having these little tiny moments and, and things throughout your week or your month or your year where you know that these are times where you're going to experience joy? Okay, I know I'm having a bad day, but it's Monday, and on Thursday I have a life group. No! You are a son of God. You are a daughter of the king. And as part of your inheritance, you can have joy in every situation. You don't have to wait for somebody to preach a message to you. You don't have to wait to get to your life group. You don't have to wait to go on YouTube and look at what, what is, what is uh, T.D. Jake's message about this week. I hope it's talking about joy because that's what I need. I'm just going to keep searching through podcasts until I find something that speaks to me. Open the Bible. Spend time with Jesus. But he says more, more than that. More than that, I want to experience the power of the resurrection, that resurrection power that brought Jesus back from the dead. I want that coursing through my veins, helping me to die to sin and, and helping me to attain this righteousness that is available to me through the partnership with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want that resurrection life inside of me. 
But even more than that, I want the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. This is where we all check out. Because Paul is saying, I, it's okay. Yes, I've been in prison. Yes, I've been beaten. Yes, I've been flogged. Yes, I've almost died. But I rejoice in those things. And he's, maybe he's even looking forward to it. When we allow God to move in our life through intense suffering, there is this beautiful intimacy that happens between us and the Lord as, as we are united with him. Jesus suffered more than I ever will. But when I, when I suffer, it gives me a chance to connect with the Lord and say, God, thank you so much. And he's saying, I'm not going to turn away from these things. I'm not going to shy away from these things but I'm willing to take up my cross. I'm willing to bear whatever burdens I need to bear without complaining, without grumbling, without posting it on Facebook that I'm so upset and sad right now. Help me. I'm going to take it to Jesus. I'm going to look at it as a moment where I can find joy and intimacy with Christ. He says, I want to become like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is looking forward to the day when he is going to be with Jesus eternally. But since he goes on in the rest of this chapter, since he is already a citizen of heaven, he's going to live that way now. And he's going to allow this partnership with the Holy Spirit to bring him joy as he becomes more like Christ. Don't let your joy be connected with a person. Don't let it be connected with a situation. Don't let it be connected with a circumstance, with a life group, with a sermon, with a, with a preacher, with whatever. Because the only true source of sustainable joy is knowing Christ. If I can know Christ, you can have everything else. And if I can know Christ, I know that whatever life brings me, I can still find joy in the intimacy that I have with him. Revisit those fundamentals. Get back to that first love. Experience that joy of falling in love with Jesus all over again. What are the distractions? What are the things that need to be cut away? External pressures that you have, internal pressures that you have, things that you put on yourself unjustly. Once you find them, count them what they are. Sewer garbage. Define that true worth and value and then develop that life statement, that life vision, that life goal. I want to know Christ in everything that I do. I want to know him. Not know about him. I want to know him. Jesus died so that we can know him. Jesus died so that we can have salvation. Jesus died so that we can have joy. Jesus died to save us from all of these distractions, to, to save us from this idea that life is meaningless and at the end of it, we just go to sleep somewhere and never wake up again. Jesus died to give us eternal life today and joy today, not just someday way off in the future when you get to heaven. Live for him now. 
I just want to ask, is there there's anybody that's never experienced the joy of salvation? You have never experienced salvation. You have never given your heart to Jesus. You have never invited him to be a part of your life. I'm not asking you to like rededicate your life to Jesus, but if you have never given your life to Jesus and you hear this message and you say, Pastor Mike, this is something that is I want to experience in my life. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to, I would love to talk to you after service. You can wave at me now or you can come see me afterwards. And we're going to get into communion here in a second, but the altars are here open uh, at the end of service for prayer. Like, Let's, let's get back to having some joy. I just want to say one more thing, and then I'm going uh, to invite Pastor Janet up. Um, you can find joy in the sacrifice of Jesus. As we move into communion, uh, a lot of times we have these somber moments, and that's okay. And this is something that's been happening since the death of Christ. The church has been doing this, and this is an amazing tradition, but don't look at it as a, it does offer us a time for reflection, and it's a beautiful opportunity for us to invite the Holy Spirit to, to say, God, God, what are those internal and internal, external and internal distractions? And to ask for forgiveness, and to remember what Christ did, the beauty of his sacrifice. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.